Hey folks, Anthony Desiato here. We will get to our regular episode in just a minute, but first, I'm sitting here with beloved alternate realities elder statesman Rich Roney. Thanks for having me. And a relatively new addition to the Flat Squirrel podcast roster, Scott Honig. Thanks for having me back. So the three of us, in a moment, after we do this little promo, we are going to record a special episode of My Comic Shop Book Club revolving around, I mean, these are, these are big ones, the seminal 1985 storyline, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and its 2005 sequel, Infinite Crisis. And that episode is going to go live on Patreon at the $1 level. $1. What more do you want? At the $1 level, one week from today, on Wednesday, July 31st. I'm very, very excited to get into this, uh, this recording here. And I'm curious, you know, for, for each of you, if you have a, a moment, something that really stands out to you with respect to buying at a comic shop, either Crisis or Infinite Crisis. Anything, anything specifically come to mind? Well, I'll, I'll say for myself, uh, prior to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, I had not been reading comics for a number of years. I'd say probably about... Uh, six or seven years. And then somehow I got uh, introduced to this, and I remember towards the end of it, it might have been uh, Martin Luther King Day or or around President's Day, I went to Dragon's Den on Central Avenue, and I picked up two of the issues for Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I was thrilled, because at that time, uh, direct sales stores were really just starting out. So Dragon's Den was uh, just really a goldmine. I was able to get two of them there. I was thrilled. Awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned Dragon's Den, because Dragon's Den will be the subject of one of our upcoming episodes, so people can stay tuned for that. And Scott, what about you? So it was the summer of 1998, and I was an editorial intern at Marvel Comics. And as part of my internship, I had to read 10 books in or about the field in which I was interning. Uh, So I asked staff members at Marvel, what do I read? And Crisis was one of the things that they recommended if I hadn't read it already, and I hadn't. So I went to Jim Hanley's Universe in uh, Manhattan, and I picked up the full trade paperback, which I'm holding right now, uh, of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I read the whole thing uh, in one shot in about two days. Uh, And not having really been a DC reader at the time, I understood that it was very important in terms of of the comics landscape, but I really didn't understand a lot of the story or who the characters were or what changes were being made until much, much, much later. Oh, interesting that Marvel recommended you read it, but it makes sense. Uh, And then for myself personally, I mean, I wasn't born when the original Crisis came out, but I was very excited for Infinite Crisis, such that I was a freshman in college, I was commuting to Fordham, and I had one class on Wednesdays, it was a Spanish class, and I remember... Uh, the day that Infinite Crisis number one came out, I skipped that Spanish class. And I didn't skip many classes in my in my academic career, but I skipped that Spanish class and I went to work at Alternate Realities that morning to help break down the shipment so I could get my hands on Infinite Crisis number one as soon as possible. Uh, so it's always interesting to to kind of compare notes on that. Um, so we'll we'll continue. We'll get into our recording. People can hear that on the 31st. The other news that I want to share is that Remember that time I made a feature-length documentary about comic book stores across America? (laughs) Good times. So the movie is actually going to be screening twice uh, this summer, uh, two upcoming opportunities to see the film in a theater. The first is coming up very shortly on Sunday, July 28th at 3 o'clock p.m. at the Darris Theater in Booton, New Jersey. Uh, The doc will be screening again at 3 o'clock, followed by a QA and a with yours truly. And you can get tickets for that at brownpapertickets.com. And you can use the discount code FLATSQUIRREL to unlock the uh, discounted ticket price. 
And then uh, in August, the documentary is going to be screening at Reed Pop's newest convention, uh, Keystone Comic Con in Philadelphia. Uh, so you can head on over to uh, the Reed Pop site and the Keystone Comic Con page for all of the details. Unfortunately, I will not be in attendance for that as my son is due to be born that very weekend. Uh, so unfortunately, I won't be there in person, but I'm going to be recording a special uh, little video intro. Uh, so if you are in the area, if you're already planning to go to the convention, if this is added motivation to go, uh, I really hope that you'll check out the screening. My Comic Shop History is brought to you in part by our friends at Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey. And here we happen to have Fat Moose clerk, Sean Hendricks. Hi, how you doing? Fat Moose is New Jersey's oldest comic shop, correct? Yes. And I think I may be one of North Jersey's oldest comic shop clerks. <laughs> <laughs> But you have the appearance and spirit of a much younger man. There you man. go. I get that a lot. Um, so I'm supposed to like hype the store now. Go okay. for it. Well, I'll tell you this. We recently discounted heavily a whole bunch of trades and hardcovers. They're between 40 to 60% off. Two huge bins of books and good stuff too. Uh, not just the unsellable stuff. A lot of good Marvel and DC trades. So come and check those out. They're perpetually on sale until we get rid of them. It's not a limited thing, so... What a deal. Well, there you have it. Go check out Fat Moose. They say if you live one place long enough, you are that place. My name is Anthony Desiato, and I've lived in Westchester, New York my entire life. This season, I'll be telling my county story through her comic shops, capturing a microcosm of the comics industry during the pivotal 1990s. Everything comes full circle this season with the final piece of my comic shop history. Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This episode, our tour through the lost comic shops of Westchester, brings us to a store that we've talked about a lot on the podcast over the years, Alternate Realities, a.k.a. My Comic Shop. Uh, but we're here to talk about it again because a season about Westchester shops would not be complete if we didn't talk about alternate realities. But this time around, we're going going to attack it from a slightly different angle. Uh, so I'm very excited to welcome to the show, for the first time, former alternate realities owner Prem Itherat. Hi, how are you doing? How'd I do on the name? Perfect. Yeah? Yeah. You're not just saying that? Nope. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. I'm glad. So welcome to My Comic Shop History. Thank you for having me. At long last, <laughs> we are sitting across from each other, two alternate realities legends, face to face. <laughs> I mean, I think this is, uh, it, it's kind of momentous because, uh, you know, you and I have met just a few times at like alternate realities dinners. It's true. But, you know, as we've discussed on the podcast before, you know, when, when we have these large groups, oftentimes you're, you're really limited to talking to the, the couple of people right around you. So I don't think you and I have ever really exchanged more than hellos and goodbyes. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting because I've been away from alternate for quite a bit. So it's always also pretty nostalgic to getting back together with people, especially Steve and the old crew, as I call it. Yeah, the old guard, those <laughs> AR veterans. Um, but, you know, like I was saying, uh, you know, in that quick little intro, this episode, it was a little tricky for me because we talked about AR so much over the years. Uh, and, you know, the entire first season of this podcast was devoted to AR and its closing. And so, you know, the, the question was, it's like, well, what could we do with this that would be a little bit different than what we've done before? Because I felt it did need to be represented in this tour through the Westchester County comic shop scene. And so I thought you were perfect for this because uh, it's a great opportunity for me to get to know you. And we had no overlap. 
So you Correct. represent an entire era of the store that has been discussed here and there, but I don't think we've fully unpacked. Only from one perspective, maybe, or a few. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we have had people, you know, who you know, were with the store, you know, in, in the earlier days. But uh, but again, you and I didn't have any of that overlap, whereas I did overlap with those other guys. So sure. this should be interesting. I think so. We'll see. <laughs> so, you know, when I do these episodes, I always do my homework. It's an important part of being the host. Okay. <laughs> and when, you know, like I'm going to a comic shop, for example... Pretty much any any stores these days, especially the stores I've had on the show, you know, they have some social media presence. I can, you know, see what they've been posting, read reviews on Yelp, things like that to get a little bit of a sense of the store. Uh, you know, if I interview a creator, they've done interviews, you know, there's their work that I can look at. Mm-hmm. With you, though, it was it was a little tough because I didn't have, you know, that, that body of, of material necessarily, you know, to look back on. So I turned to the Alternate Realities crew, specifically that old guard. And this maybe will give people a little insight into the alternate realities community here. So we have this, this private Facebook group, which um, I'll invite you to join. You're, you're more than <laughs> welcome. But uh, we set this up when the store was closing because we figured, you know, when, if, if the inner circle needed to sort of, uh, you know, confer about something, we'd have sure. a space online to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been uh, largely inactive for quite some time now. But uh, in advance of the recording, I posted, I said that I am interviewing the one and only Prem on the podcast, what should I ask him? He and I never overlapped at the store, so any anecdotes or insight into his tenure would be much appreciated. So that's what I put out there. Uh, Odo, former owner and one of the founders of the store, he was the first to, re- to respond. He said, there's so much, I don't know where to start. <laughs> and you know what? He never started. <laughs> that's, as, that's as much as I got from him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Then we had Michael Kaplan, who we and, and longtime listeners know best as Metalhead. Yep. Who said, oh, Prem stories. So, so, so many Prem stories. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Brandon got uh, specific here and explicit. So I'm going to clean this up. <laughs> F you, mom. <laughs> Do you know what this is in reference to? This is now a specific anecdote that he's pointing to. So Steve chimed in and he said, I don't think, he said, Prem didn't say that, did he? I thought he said, thanks, mom. Thanks for nothing. Does the story ring any bells? It does. It does. So I don't remember cursing at all. I think that might have been added later on. Brandon tends to uh, embellish um, things from time to time. Um, That was in, if I remember correctly... I don't know. I guess I was an owner at the time. I guess Steve was probably still in the fold. It was probably Steve, Brennan, and I. And for some reason, we needed... This was back in the eBay days where you didn't really know people. It wasn't very well established. You couldn't... There wasn't guarantees, I don't think, at the time of, you know, if you had a problem with a seller, you could go and and say, hey, eBay, give me my money back. Um... And so I believe this was when we were trying to get something from Japan. I think it was probably something related to Pokemon because, of course, Pokemon was an incredible craze back then. And we needed essentially to wire or send someone, I believe it was five to $10,000, which at the time... 
I, I didn't have. <laughs> I mean, not and, a small amount. Yeah, not, not a small amount, but not like a huge amount. But a large enough amount that it would be ridiculous for someone, I was probably 18, 19, maybe somewhere around there, to ask their mother or their parent out of the blue to do out of, out of a whim. And so I believe the conversation, it was, it was a phone call um, to my mom. And I believe it was sort of like the thanks, thanks for nothing. And then I hung up <laughs> in like a, in, obviously in like a rage almost. Uh, and looking back at that moment, and, and I kind of thought about this too before coming here, because I was like, oh, what, well, what were some memorable moments? And that was certainly one of them. And it was just kind of an interesting time. You know, I didn't really know, you know, I didn't really have perspective back then. Right. And so it was an interesting thing to think about. And it was kind of ridiculous that I would even ask, you know, I knew they had the money, but it wasn't like, you know, a couple hundred bucks or, you know, for in case in my mind, it was for, for the business. So it felt like a legitimate ask. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, my parents weren't like business partners. So yeah. So that was the context for that. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, Drew, uh, one of the former uh, co-owners of the store, he just posted a photo of, I want to say, a ball that said Prem and the source underneath. Does this ring any bells? That doesn't. I'm curious now. I'm holding up a photo of it. <laughs> it might not, I, it might not know, be it anything. It might just be yeah. a random photo. <laughs> it, it, it might need some uh, some jarring to, to, to jog my memory on that one. Unfortunately, that was all that Drew contributed. <laughs> He just put that there and he so left. So I can't help you with that. Yeah. It might uh, come back to me. Metal, uh, still still part of this conversation. He uh, he comes back in. He says, just want to say, I've been thinking about Prem stories for the last 24 hours. I think we can dedicate a season to it, a podcast <laughs> season to it. At which point I responded and I said, looking forward to some specifics. <laughs> and what do you say? So at this point now, thankfully... Uh, we did get we did get a couple of things, a couple of little anecdote teases uh, that they shared with me, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But one of the things that Metal did say, he said, "Pretty sure Prem doesn't want to talk about any of the things we find so entertaining." <laughs> to which I said, "You know, I'm not looking to ambush the guy with any of this stuff. Like, I'm just looking for a little bit of a little bit of background, a little bit of context about the time. The sense that I've gotten from that era of the store, and I guess that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. I've always gotten the sense it was a little bit a little bit rowdier and more uh, prank filled in those days. Yeah, I'd say so. We, we all had a good time. We worked hard, but we all had a good time. Um, but it, it it really did teach me a lot of practical skills, business skills." And it was just a fun time. It was it was like the the clerks movie way back when. Like it really was. It was like ridiculous at times. I'd be playing. I don't know if you remember um, if Paul Miller ever came up in conversation. Maybe Steve or yeah, he no, would, not specifically. He would come up um, and on a random day, and he used to drive people around, sort of like a, a personal chauffeur. And we would bring out uh, a game of cribbage. We used to play all the time, um, Steve and I and Paul. And when things, you know, when things were quiet, it was like, oh, well, you know, what do you do to keep busy? Um, and so cribbage was actually one of the few games that I picked up from Paul, and it was just a fun game to just randomly play at the store. Interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, I definitely remember Steve talking about it. I don't know that we necessarily discussed it uh, on the podcast, so you know, that's interesting. And it's funny too when you, you know talk about you know taught you a lot about business. 
So, you know, it's funny over these past few years since I, you know, started doing the, the documentaries and the podcast, you know, our mutual friend, Rich Roney, beloved elder statesman of the <laughs> alternate realities group, he's been saying to me that uh, he's like, hey, that's my rich. That's how I get into my rich, rich Roney impression. He's like, hey, you know, you could use Steve as a case study. You could get your, your MBA, like using the store as, as an example, uh, you know, from a business perspective. Right. And um, that would be interesting. And in, this, in some ways, for all of the business talk that I've done with retailers, part of me feels like I missed my calling and that maybe I should have gone to business school instead of law school. <laughs> you went to business school. You went to NYU undergrad and grad. Right? I did. I did two years at the Arts and Sciences School and then transferred to Stern. Uh, NYU School of Business. Yeah, nothing and, to sneeze at. No. <laughs> and then I went um, to a part-time MBA program as well, which I wrapped up in 2011. But interesting enough, uh, I, th I believe at the time I, I co-owned the business while going to college. Um, and so this was, what, 20 years ago or something like that. And, you know, when the Pokemon craze came, I remember distinctly, because I would work on the weekends because I was physically... At school, I couldn't be at two places at one time. And so I would come up, I would say every other Thursday or Friday, I would go down to Chinatown. I don't know if you heard, <laughs> heard these stories before, but no. you know, back in the day when VHSs were still a thing, so there were tapes, um, I would get a list, probably from Steve, and say, oh, we need episodes, blah, 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 of Dragon Ball Z um, on VHS. Or it would be like these imports that come from China or Japan or whatnot. So it could be Pokemon cards or this or that, toys, Dragon Ball Z figurines. And I would literally be carrying two big blue bags of almost like trash bags of stuff. And it would make my mom come and pick me up from my dorm room. And this was kind of my life for <laughs> however many years. So it was, it was an interesting time. Yeah, you know, so in talking to, uh, even though it's hard to get some specifics out of Steve, in talking to Steve and to Rich about you and your time at the store, you know, uh, uh, there were a couple of things that, that both of them mentioned that really stood out about you. And, uh, you know, one of them was, you know, the fact that you became an owner at, at a relatively young age. And this was something that, you know, I spoke with uh, Brandon about as well. Uh, Brandon Montclair, mm -hmm. you know, I was a comic book creator. Right. You know, he was one of the, the owners uh, for a period of time uh, as well. Uh, you know, and he bought into the store at such a young age, too. And it was always, you know, like shocking to me because, you know, I was working at the store as a high schooler, as a college age kid. And the thought of like buying in, I mean, that's not something I would have attempted. So the fact <laughs> that you guys did that is, is really impressive to me. Uh, so they spoke about that. Uh, and, and what a keen, you know, business sense that you had and still have. Uh, and I, I really want to get into that a bit and talk about, uh, you know, just your take on the business side of alternate realities. Um, and then they, they did mention that, you know, you were, you were very quiet initially, which is something that I can identify with a lot because I was, a, I was a very shy, quiet kid myself. And especially, you know, when I first started working at the store and, you know, for quite some time, you know, we always talk about the dinners, like these big dinners mm -hmm. for quite some time, like they would invite me to go. And I was like, so shy. I like, I never went. It took probably a couple of years of me working there before I finally went. But so you, was it, was it shyness on, uh, on your part or just more, more your just general quiet nature? Yeah, I think I was definitely introverted at the time. Um, I still think I'm introverted, but I, I guess I'm out there a lot more. Got sort of, uh, I sort of gotten comfortable with getting uncomfortable huh. and really now it, it would be, you know, from someone looking in, it would be very difficult, I think, to tell that I'm introverted because I am out there a lot. I am doing a lot of work, nonprofit wise. I'm doing a lot of social sort of networking events and things like that. But at the store, a hundred percent 
positive. I was definitely introverted. I didn't say much. And even in the outings, I remember going to Peace and Brew. That would be kind of our spot. Mm-hmm. And this was before they renovated, you know, I forget how many years ago they renovated, but this was way back when, when they still had the, the sort of train inside. And um, really great memories. I mean, I was, I was definitely quiet. There's no doubt about that. I think I've changed quite a bit. Um, but for customers that kind of knew me, I think it was like kind of like night and day because they would see another side of me that maybe a lot of others didn't see. So, yeah. you know, the show's called My Comic Shop History. I'd love to know a little bit more about your comic shop history. Before Alternate Realities, were there any other comic shops specifically in the area that you went to? This was the only one that I can... Oh, you know what? Um, This was my main one. I remember going to Dragon's Den. The one on Central Ave? On occasion on Central Ave. And mainly because of proximity. So I used to live in that... Right across from TGI Fridays on Henry Street. So within walking distance of Alternate Realities. And really, I grew up... I kind of grew up there in a way. Um, it's my hobby. At know, alternate, you mean? At alternate, yeah. you know, Steve, you know, really, you know, he's like a father figure to many of us. But, you know, when you're 15, 16, whatever it was, working part-time at a comic book store, and you you kind of had that relationship for many, many years. And I, I probably saw him more than I saw my, my father, for example. And don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful for what my father's <laughs> done. And he's done a lot for us financially. And then it's... It's really just, um, you know, everything is proximity. Like you, you, you hang out with people, you get to know them. And so I, I used to be a lot into non-sports trading cards. So way back when with the Ultra Pros, the Fleers of the world, or, or I think I'm getting these mixed up maybe. But those, an image, so I would do sort of the new comics. So the images and the valiance of the world, which... Uh, I guess they still exist. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but, you know, it was it was a very, it was just my hobby. And I was very into it at the time. And so, you know, I really got to know Steve also. And so when the time came, when he essentially offered me an ownership role, you know, it was very hard to say no. It was just a matter of making it work, you know. And I was fortunate enough to have the backing of my parents. It did take a bit of convincing, but, you know, they kind of, I think they saw also that I was treating it as a business, not just some random throwaway money, you know, hobby or, you know, not, I shouldn't say it like that. I should just say something that I, I haven't put too much thought into. So they, right. I think they saw that. And so, you know, I was able to make it happen. Yeah. So you were in college at that point when you, when you bought in? That's a good question. <laughs> um, well, I believe. How old were you when you started going to the store, just as a customer? Probably in my probably fourteen, fifteen. Okay. I would say maybe a little younger. It's very hard to remember. Yeah. Steve, Steve will know. No, Steve. He, he, <laughs> no, he doesn't. No. <laughs> um, but it was pretty young, and I was just very into comics at the time. And you know, this is pre all those movies that we now see today. You know, I remember Marvel. Um, on the verge of bankruptcy at some point. And I remember, you know, <laughs> I don't know, it stuck to me that it was Steve, Steve attached bricks onto um, these prepaid postcards that came into um, the comic books. So the comic books were like, hey, subscribe. And they gave this little insert that says, fill out your name and address. And it was prepaid. And I remember Steve would just sometimes like attach a brick to it and put it in the mailbox. And I'm like, 
<laughs> like, why are you doing that? And his whole point was, you know, why are they trying to put me out of business? The comic, the comics book store owner, because they want people to go direct, right? like subscribe directly subscribe from the publisher. Direct. Interesting. Yeah. I never heard that. <laughs> I don't know if he actually mailed them out. I, I think he did, but I don't know if they actually got charged and if it got mailed. <laughs> Yeah, the more uh, like vengeful, spiteful side of him, I think has has dulled a little bit over the years. But uh, that that feels very much, you know, in, in character. You know, I mean, that's the interesting thing with Steven. I mean, I, I echo everything you said about him being, you know, like a father figure. And I know I catch myself too when I say that sometimes because it's like, you know, I, I have a father of my own. But you know, it's like he, you know, very much serves that role. And and especially when you're spending, like you were saying, that amount of time, you know, with someone. Um, and you know the age difference and everything you know i mean it he he really does take on that role and he did for so many of us i mean a lot of the people you've you know heard on the show you know have similar types of stories like that you know so yeah absolutely and it's funny too because you know now you know he's in his 60s but i think about you know we're talking about these early days of the store you know he was in his 30s like you and i are in our 30s now like it's crazy yeah to think like you know we're in that <laughs> that time of our life that he was when he was doing the stuff that we're talking about Right. How many Yale graduates do you know that are, <laughs> have, you know, stuck with a comic book ownership role versus practicing law? Yeah. Um, and so that was always very interesting to me. Cause, but you know what? As, you know, I really do think it was his passion. You know, it is, it defines who he is. Mm-hmm. And as I talk to more people, um, it's a lot more important to be passionate about what you do versus the money itself. And I'm trying to get people to just really focus on saving and investing so that you can really unlock your freedom, which is basically going after your passion. And some people do it early on, and some people do it later, and some people never get to do it at all. And how sad is it that you may work your whole life just to kind of live um, and pay your bills, and you never get to really get out there and do what it is that you really want to do. Right. But he did it, so I think. <laughs> I love how you snuck in a subtle commercial there. So, no, let's, let's just say, so you are a financial advisor now. Can you tell us about your, your firm, what you do? Yeah, sure. So I started about five years ago, and the name of my company is Pi Capital Management. The easiest way is www.picap.investments. So that's P-I-C-A-P dot investments. I work with all across the spectrum of all people. Um, but I work from anywhere from retirees to I think my niche is really younger working professionals because I feel like they're underserved. And so I have a $99 plan for individuals that basically is you get me anytime through email, text, and phone. And a lot of people have really found it to be very beneficial because where else can you get that? And um, it's really about connecting with people and helping them build to their future very cool there you go look my comic shop history come for the comic shops stay for the uh, financial <laughs> advising there you go so you know you start going alternate realities as a teenager as a customer first right you're into comics right. you're into the cards mm-hmm. speaking of your parents and steve what did your parents think of steve do you remember any uh, any impressions that they had of him i don't know if they really had any uh interaction with him really oh, okay. um aside from maybe they knew who of you know, they knew of him. Right. I guess, yeah, you were old enough and you lived close enough that you were just going to the store. On yeah, your own. although I would get <laughs> I would get picked up from time to time, or actually a lot, um, now that I think about it. Even though it was maybe a 10-minute walk, you know, it was just kind of ridiculous. But, you know, that was, that was me. <laughs> and then did you, did, was there a period of time where you were just an employee at the store before you bought in or you went from customer to co-owner? 
Yeah, I was an employee at 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 uh, some time, so it became sort of a transition from customer to part time part timer, as I'm sure most of us become. Did you were you recruited or did you volunteer your way in? Because those you are know, kind of like the two two main ways. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember, but it was definitely something that I wanted to do. Um, but I ended up spending up all my money there anyway. So, but it was nice to get some things at cost. Um, and it was, it kind of fed my, my, my hobby, which was great at the time. And it was, um, it was just great. And I remember being a manager, quote unquote manager for the first time, you know, um, and it was, uh, definitely, um, a learning experience, you know, now that I think about it, you know, I would always be on top of people to be like, Oh, why are you taking a break? Like you should be working like nonstop. And I'm like, that was crazy. <laughs> like, why would I, you know, but I didn't know anything back then, you know. I so was, that's what you were, that you would say that as, as manager at AR? Yeah, that's what I remember now that I was maybe a little too harsh, but I don't think I was bad. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> who were, who were your subordinates during that time? Uh, well, I remember Drew, little Drew. Um, little, Drew little Drew, yeah. was one of them. <laughs> uh, Mike and, and Bill. The Mayo uh, brothers. The Mayo brothers. Uh, maybe Drew is maybe big drew at some point but he was more you know he was he would go on to become yeah, one of the he, one of the yeah, owners yeah he's yeah i don't think i was ever really managing him yeah i guess when i met drew i met him as big drew because yes there was this <laughs> other kid who went to scarsdale high school i think right I believe, yeah Edgemont, yep yeah and he was little you know they obviously both named drew so big drew little drew you know little drew faded away so <laughs> i don't think anyone's necessarily referred to cheskin as big drew in a, in a long time but that's how that's he true. was known that's true yeah yeah so you're quite the taskmaster then as manager i think i was <laughs> you gotta run a tight ship yeah no it was, it was a great experience and you know i remember when i was working for steve doing like um putting the backboards into bags 100 at a time and for me, it was just like, oh, you know, some, you know, another thing to do. I didn't really think too much about it being a menial task or anything like that. I just wanted to get it done. So I've always been about more organization and just getting stuff done. Yeah. Um, at that point, what was Steve's uh, time? What was his record on making the bags and boards? Because this became a thing over the years. <laughs> Did it? Oh, yeah. So I don't think there was a competition at my time, at least. <laughs> okay. Because by my time, he, he was down to, he could do 100 bags and boards. He could make them up in five and a half minutes, I want to say. Either five or five and a half. But he, it was very specific. He was very <laughs> proud of it. I, I can't say we actually had competitions, but it was just like, that's, that's what he could we do. We should do that. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't far behind. And I feel like if I really pushed, I could have, maybe I could have done it. But maybe. Yeah, he was, uh, but so that wasn't a thing back then. No. <laughs> See, this is this is why I'm so glad we're doing this, because again, it's like just to get this insight into that that era of the store. I mean, you know, all of his Odoisms, like these sayings that he lives by, were, were these things he was spouting off back then? I think some of them were. Um, definitely the flat squirrel, I think. I remember that being there for, for quite some time. Um, I think it was the Mountain Dew, I think, that really <laughs> fed his... Uh, Fed his Odoisms. Uh, I remember him having a, a toothache at some point, and he was just—he just kept pushing it. You know, he just literally with his finger in his mouth to make the fa- <laughs> to make the pain go away. He was literally pushing the tooth. Yes, yeah. and it was like, wow. <laughs> um, and so, but that was Steve. Like that was like that—that that defines him. That—that that was who he was, and so that's how I know him. And and he's—he's he's got his quirks. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> 
Yeah, the tooth. Uh, and I know, I'm trying to think other stuff like that. I mean, of course, one of the Odoisms is, uh, you know, Steve Odo does not get cold. He claimed he absorbed so much heat one summer that it kept him warm all winter. Uh, and he even had a specific temperature. I think it was like 23 degrees. At that point, he felt a little chilly. But as long as it was even one degree warmer than that, he was fine. Didn't need a jacket. And then definitely was part of it. I think death is the ultimate release. Oh, I don't know yes. if that hung, you know, hung around. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> Again, I think he might have mellowed a little bit on that one these days. I don't know. I mean, you know, he's he's happily remarried, you know, and, and all that. So maybe his outlook on that has changed a little bit. Yep. But yeah, death is the ultimate release. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the two thing reminded me of this. I remember uh, there was a very expired bottle of aspirin or Tylenol, something like that. And, uh, and like very expired. And mm-hmm. his solution was just like double the dosage if it's expired. And... <laughs> Speaking of Mayo, Bill Mayo, who's uh-huh. a chemist, yep. like he's literally <laughs> he has a PhD in this. And I remember right. uh, this was probably like over Facebook or something. And Bill was like, no, like you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a lot of weird stuff like that. Yeah. And what about uh, delinquent customers? Because that, of course, you know, when the time came to close the store, that's what he, he pinned it on that. He was like, you know, people didn't pick up their books. I've had enough. I'm done. Was that an issue in the back in the day? It was always there. You know, if that were me, I would say, you know, release the book, you know, like release what I have at least, you know, don't, don't hold it indefinitely. You would, right? That you makes, would think. That makes you sense. <laughs> See, so like, all right, this is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because again, you know, from, from what I gather from talking to these other guys, you had this business sense even before you went to Stern and then obviously it was, you know, fine tuned during your formal education. But, you know, I am curious to get your take on, on the business side of it. And I mean, I mean, do you agree? Like, do you feel like you've always been business-minded even before business school? I think I've always loved owning a business or building a business and interacting with customers. It's just kind of, I like building things. Where do you think and it comes from? I don't know. It's it's inherent, maybe. You know, I think I'm, all, I'm also about personal finance and like always thinking about ways to do things that I think are the best. It's just, I'm a numbers guy. And so my dad's a doctor and my oldest brother is a doctor as well so that kind of went his way but what i do appreciate with my parents and my my middle brother's a uh, developer he's more into technology and managing projects but for me it was something i just came into and my parents were always very open about what i wanted to learn they weren't restricting in any way they didn't want to guide me in one way or another and so i really appreciate that from them because it allowed me to kind of pursue what i wanted to So alternate was definitely a a great experience because you deal with all sorts of customers out there. You deal with, I remember one time, I think I I switched like our phone carrier because I got a cold call from WorldCom or whoever it was. And Steve's like, what did you do that for? And, you know, I didn't know anything (laughs) back then about I'm like, oh, I thought it was cheaper, you know, but of course there's probably hidden fees or this or that, or it's a promo period. And he's probably gone through this dozens of times by, you know, by the time, you know, I started. So just those are real life things that just um, are there and they happen. But um, we also kind of came into this whole eBay um, craze, if you will, when it just started back in the 90s. And this is uh, sort of pre-Amazon and everything else. Amazon just kind of started with books. Mm. And so we had to adapt. And I remember our first digital camera was probably a Kodak. And it had like two AA batteries. And it could take like 
10 pictures with flash because it would just drain the batteries so quickly. And of course you had to hold the camera very still because it was, you know, it was very slow to react, you know, not like nowadays with your phone and everything else is so easy. Um, and so, you know, that's something that Steve, um, maybe because he's in a different age, didn't really take on to the whole eBay phase, the whole internet phase that uh, started when I when I was around. Um, and I get it because I'm, I'm new to Instagram and like Instagram's a new, you know, big thing that you need to be on there or you're, you're kind of nobody. <laughs> um, and so, but sometimes you need to have that younger blood or you need to hire people that are born into it or it comes very naturally to them. And now I'm sure, e- you know, Steve is very adept at eBay. I mean, ironically, else. it's like, yeah, now that's <laughs> full his, circle, <laughs> his primary means of distribution in terms of uh, divesting himself of all of the remaining AR merchandise. Yeah. And so it was, it was great. I remember building our, you know, with Metalhead building the website and it was awesome to see customers come from across the nation really. And that was also another challenge too. How do we fulfill orders? And we'd get some chargebacks where people would charge i remember going going crazy trying to get an order out so that they would get it before a certain time frame and then they ended up saying oh i didn't want this and so we ended up taking a loss on it i remember brandon and steve would get over you know they would come into arguments over sort of um some of our ebay posts like they would um brandon was all about getting stuff out Mm -hmm. so it might be like a lot of 25 comic books, which was basically overstock that we had and we just want to get rid of for like a dollar or two dollars, whatever it may be. And, you know, it really wasn't a very cost effective way to um, get rid of them. Um, and the crazy thing is, and Steve can probably relate to this, that people would complain even though they're spending a buck or two and maybe they got two of our lots and there were some duplicates and it's like, what, like, what do you want for a buck or two? You know, you're paying pennies for for these books. But um, it was an interesting time, for sure. Yeah. Well, I know, yeah, some people are just uh, never satisfied. <laughs> but, I I mean, I'm sure, you know, it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, that, that tension that, you know, you're, you're speaking about between wanting to, you know, move product and have that turnover versus, you know, hold on to it, hoping that that customer is going to pay the price that, you know, you, you want for it. Right. And I remember Brandon being like the idea man. So like he may have had this idea, but I remember like packing up all the boxes and getting them out. <laughs> I could have, you know, maybe I remember not, not correctly, but um, I think that that's, I think that's Brandon in a nutshell. If you like what you hear, please consider joining the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. I know we're all subscribed to a million different services these days, but your Patreon support helps me cover the costs associated with maintaining the podcast. Plus, you get access to a ton of exclusive bonus content, starting at the $1 level, including the My Comic Shop Book Club, Beyond My Comic Shop, and My Super Fan History subseries. If you enjoy the regular episodes, I promise you'll dig the Patreon ones. Thanks to everyone who has already signed up. One of our podcast sponsors is a family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island, and the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park. Find them all on Film Freeway, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for information about dates, tickets, and film submissions. The Brightside Tavern Film Festival takes place the first weekend of August. Also, be sure to visit iTunes or a shareduniverse.com to tune in to the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast. 
even before you started working there, I mean, were you curious about the business side of it? Like, did you ask them questions or did you kind of like observe the workings of the store kind of thinking about that side of it? Yeah, I've always questioned about how, how, how we make money, how the store makes money and how things are priced and what things are returnable and what things aren't. And, you know, these are very basic things that, you know, I know now, but, you know, going into a business, you don't know what that is unless you're in it. Um, and then, you know, I would try different things and some of it, <laughs> some of them would fail, um, inevitably, such as I remember, you know, Steve was very into Star Trek and I mean, I guess we all were really. And so he'd play Wrath of Khan, Star Trek two all the time. Um, and so, and you know, customers seemed into it as well. And so I'm, I'm like, why don't we do like a Star Trek Sunday where we offer 10% off to our customers just because just because and we'd have star trek playing in the background and whatever and you know they didn't really increase sales at all but it's just kind of like just a random idea that i had that i thought would bring interest and clearly didn't work and then another one was um around christmas time i think i was open for christmas for a couple hours at some point i'm like what if people need last minute gifts yeah and nobody shows up <laughs> so you know it, it it you know you live and you learn and and you know that's really what it is it's about just just trying things and sometimes you know if the cost isn't too high why not try it and then see where it goes but i remember um steve would always quote wrath of khan and, and i remember this the uh, revenge being a you know a dish best served cold and that that I don't know I just remember that all the time now um, not because I think that <laughs> but when I think of Steve now I'm like oh yes <laughs> that's Steve <laughs> yeah it's funny I mean you know just in terms of ideas and, and sales and things like that so during my time we came up with this idea of uh, <laughs> themed. I mean, costume sale, for lack of a better term, where there was like the Christmas version, we called it the white collar sale, where we dressed up in uh, fedoras and shirt and tie and vests, like we got all dressed up and it was the white collar sale. <laughs> and we did great. Oh, like, yeah? Yeah, we did really well. And uh, the first year was the best because Steve was away. Right. And we, we did very well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not saying they were related. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, so that was, so those, the white collar sales went really well. We tried, uh, a burn notice sale. If you're a fan of USA television shows, you can see the theme here. So white collar <laughs> was a show, burn notice was a show. But the burn notice one was a disaster. Like no one, and you know, we, we advertised it in the same ways, i.e. printed signs like all around the store. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that one went nowhere, but the white collar sales were always effective. But yeah, you know, it's hard to, it's hard, hard to gauge. It is, you know, but so what were, what were some of the other things that, that you implemented? I mean, whether, whether they were successful or not, I mean, I'm curious like what your ideas were, uh, you know, when, especially when you came in as, as co-owner. I think it was really, um, about getting to the masses. So I was pushing eBay, I was pushing website and really trying to drive sales at the time. And this was something that, um, we didn't have technology to do before. And so was, everything was new and, we started to do a lot more volume, I think, when <clears throat> Brandon and I were uh, running the store together. I think mainly Brandon was um, picking up inventory and, and, and getting better deals and so buying cases of stuff. And so, you know, pushing that, not, not, not like forcing it on people, but, say, you know, like this is what we have and we can offer it at a better price. Um, that was probably one of the first times I negotiated was like a box of cards. 
Um, and so that was that was definitely interesting. Were you there when the arcades were there? No. So that was also another. Um, I remember the pinball machine specifically, but yeah, now that's before my pinball time. machine, X Men arcade, and when we're talking about business, like it was. I think his name was Crazy Al, or at least Steve would call him Crazy Al. He owned he owned the machines, and he would just kind of take a cut of whatever we we pulled in. Um, and so, but it was a it was a pretty fairly good amount of space that we dedicated for that for a, pin, for a couple machines. Was it worth it? You think? That's the thing. Like I think that's something where it, it was sort of it brought people in sometimes just because it was something to do. Um, but probably for the square footage, probably wasn't the best idea, but it was, it kind of made alternate what it was, you know, it was just a place to hang out and, you know, that we started doing like tournaments and things like that, like magic tournaments, I remember, and, and all this other stuff. And that I think really helps, you know, when you build in sort of that community aspect to it and get people to come time and time again, not because it's a place to buy your cards or your comics, it's more of where can I go to engage with people and, and have fun, right? Who share the same interests that I do. Right. It's funny with the arcades. Uh, so I don't know if you've been to All Yeah Comics in Harrison. It's a relatively new store. there once. Oh, they do have arcades. They in have the a, back, right? Yeah. So it, uh, that, I mean, it's not a full room. It's not completely enclosed, but basically a little side room. And initially, uh, you know, a couple of the owners of the store are comics creators. So originally it was kind of like a drawing area for them. That was mm -hmm. that sort of idea. Uh, I recorded a few podcasts there, and I thought it made a great uh, little recording studio yeah. space. And uh, so I was heartbroken when they decided to uh, <laughs> uh, fill it with uh, with arcade games and uh, pinball machines and things like that. Uh -huh. And I don't know, in the times that I've been in there, I, I don't know, I'm not in there enough to really gauge how effective it is. I don't tend to see a ton of people in there. And more than anything else, it drives me nuts, because usually I'm there like if I'm recording or filming something, and if people are, are playing, then it gets a little difficult. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know that I'm the biggest fan of that. But, you know, I mean, in hearing you talk about all this stuff, like, I mean, I admire it, and I think it makes sense. I mean, looking for ways to to grow, because that wasn't something, like, certainly by the time I came, like, there was some eBay stuff going on. One of the summers that I worked at the store, like, I listed stuff on eBay, but, uh, you know, I, I think at a certain point, I guess when you weren't there doing it, I mean, I think it kind of faded away. It was hard to maintain, you know, it, it's very labor intensive or it was labor intensive. It's not so much now because we have so many more tools that we do that, you know, eBay developed. But I think the website was was probably one of our bigger achievements, but it was hard. It was hard to know what people would want because you can't put everything. Because so you were selling through there. the website. We were selling yeah. through the website as well. eBay was sort of like to to get some stuff out, but also to direct people to the website. Um, and that was kind of, I think, Brandon's um, thought process too behind some of the stuff that we were just liquidating. It wasn't, be it wasn't really for the money. It was to get rid of stuff, but also to get people into sort of our ecosystem of our website. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I asked because I, I mean, I think it's it's a little bit of a shame because like by the time the website got its final redesign, now I don't think it even exists anymore. If you type in alternatealities.com, yeah. but uh, with its final redesign, you know, there was no. Uh, marketplace aspect like it was really just the history of the store some otoisms you know some right. photos contact information it, i think it's it's also harder it's hard to maintain but also the world has changed a lot and there's so much more competition out there so like how much are you going to really make by listing your items on a website it's it's just a very different environment now so when you so when you bought in obviously steve was still one of the owners 
and you said you're not sure if, if there were others at the time. It might have just been you and Steve or you, Steve, and someone it, else. It may have been me and Steve at some point alone. And then <clears throat> and then Brandon definitely came in the fold. I think it was three of us at some point. And, and then, then Steve, Steve had exited. And then it was you and Brandon for a period. Correct. Yeah. And then what happened at that point? Then, I believe Steve bought us both out at the same time. Okay. But I could be mistaken. If you don't mind me asking, when you initially bought in, like, what did it cost to buy <laughs> half or a third of alternate realities? That's a good question. You know, <laughs> I don't know if I actually know that answer. I'm just going to throw out a number out there that I think is in the ballpark. It was, it was like maybe 30 grand, 20 to 30 grand. Wow. Which is, I think, pretty low yeah. um, relative to the business that it's done. But we've we've had weeks where we were struggling to kind of make it. And so um, we had our ups and downs. But, you know, I think when something happens, like po when Pokemon came out and we were one of the first to import the cards into the U.S. or into our store and people were paying eight, seven, eight, nine dollars a pack, it was... Incredible. Like those were good times for sure in terms of revenue and profit. Um, but on a normal day, you know, during the week, you'd have very slow days. The weekends were always our best. Wednesdays were good. Um, right. But during the weekdays, it'd be challenging for sure. Yeah. Those Pokemon times. Uh, I mean, was that like, was there a year, right, where the store did a million dollars in sales? Like, was that a thing? That's I, they, It's uh, definitely possible. Um, mm. I remember, I don't know if this shirt, you know, this story was shared at all, but when when Pokemon was a, was a big thing, um, I remember we buying something from eBay, or at least we had coordinated to buy like a case of Pokemon cards, which at the time was maybe five or ten grand, or maybe it was two cases of cards. And Steve and I literally went down with uh, $10,000 in cash. And we didn't know these people, by the way. We just kind of like, oh, well, they're on eBay, and they have the stuff, supposedly. We met, we went at Virginia, I think it was, and met at a mall in the parking lot. And, you know, I you know, I really did not that I think about it, that was kind of a little crazy because like you know, you're carrying ten thousand dollars in cash and you're meeting two or three random people in a parking lot to buy something. Um could have gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um but I don't know what it was. Maybe it was Steve, you know, because he was there. Maybe it was just like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Um but yeah, those were probably those days where we were just those that was probably the onset where we were trying to just get as get a hold of as much inventory as we could, however we could. And part of that was driving there. Part of it was trying to get stuff from Japan where we started off that conversation with my mom. Right, um, right, yeah. And I had, at some point I had a uh, family in Thailand. Um, they were bringing in stuff from from Thailand, Pokemon stuff like figurines and, and toys and, and things like that. And, you know, it really was a, a substantial profit generator because we would pay, you know, a very small amount. And we would be able to charge like a reasonable price here, but they were so cheap coming overseas. Even Chinatown was very cheap relative to kind of um, what's up here. And so it's, you know, that's, that's sort of arbitrage, you know, in, in the most basic sense. But, you know, we did take a risk some, at some time, you know, sometimes. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was definitely hard work. And, you know, you don't, you know, you it's hard to quantify that. You know, what is my time worth going to, to Chinatown and picking up this stuff and then having my mom drive in? We didn't really make those calculations. And so was it really worth it at the end? 
you know, probably was, but you know, I didn't really think of it that way. It was more of a passion, more of a, more of a hobby and more of like, this is fun to do versus, oh, I have to do it. Hmm. Um, but then I did grow out of it. And that's kind of, um, one of the reasons why I did sell was because it was just not, it wasn't my thing anymore. And, you know, I was, we were just wrapping up business school and I wanted to focus more on that side. So nothing against alternate at all. It was just right. me changing into the person I am today. With the, the Pokemon craze, you know, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It sounds like you guys were, you know, kind of at the forefront of it. And I mean, I'm curious, how did you see it coming? I mean, was it just a matter of like people were starting to ask about it more? Were you f tracking it in some other way that you were like, this is going to be the thing? Yeah, I think it was more um, based on customers coming in. So we were very keen on what people were asking for. And, you know, when one person asks, it's sort of like, oh, okay. And then you have many, many people asking. And then it was just like, oh, how do we get our hands on it? And Steve, you know, he has family in Japan. That certainly helped from, from that perspective in terms of getting inventory in. Um, and so... It was just a matter of adapting very quickly. And as a small business, you're able to just make that investment. Yes, we had to we had to put five, ten grand, which at the time was a lot of money for us for sure, on something that we didn't know necessarily would sell. But after that first, you know, sort of wave went through, then it became easy because we knew then that it was it, it was whatever we got, we could sell. And of course, it petered out at some point. Uh, I don't think we got caught with a bunch of inventory, but it was, you know, you have to be able to adapt very quickly. This goes in any, any business, really. It's yeah. just a matter of adapting. Yeah, to, that bubble's going to burst at some point. Yeah, you can't, you can't like buy something and hope it sells just because you love it, right? It has to be the other way around. And I, you know, there's probably stories <laughs> around that, right? I mean, uh, I can't help but laugh. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, you know, just being keen on, on what our customers wanted. And, you know, it was really the kids that were driving the conversation. The parents were just there to pay. You know, uh, a theme and a question, a debate that I've explored uh, specifically uh, in my comic shop country, the documentary, and it kind of revolves around the Funko Pops, is, you know, this question of, uh, you know, diversifying your product line. And, you know, I know there are a number of shops that are represented in the movie who feel very strongly like, no, like at a certain point, if you carry too much of that stuff, you lose your identity as a comic book store. And so you have, you have competing schools of thought on this. And I, I do understand, you know, both sides of it. And I just wonder with Pokemon in particular, was there any any debate like within the walls of alternate realities of like, no, like this isn't our identity as a comic book store or was it really like everyone was on board? Like, Hey, this is the thing. Let's make some money. I, I don't remember there being any disagreements um, with Pokemon specifically. I think, um, you know, Steve was always in, in, in good form and Brandon about ordering certain comics. So that was our main business. No doubt about that. And so as long as we treated our customers correctly and right and, mm -hmm. and we, we kind of held you know we treated we, we, we serviced them right then all this ancillary stuff is okay in my in my opinion and I think um, the other owners would probably agree yes yes it does kind of change the the landscape of um, the store itself but what does it matter if we do an extra $5,000 in sales with Pokemon but we're still doing the same thing as we've always done with our comic book business like it didn't really impact 
the comic side, in my opinion, it, it was more of a separate thing that you shouldn't really, you know, restrain. Right. So it sounds like you guys, you know, were, were on the same page. I mean, as far as, you know, your other initiatives, I guess specifically eBay and the website, it seems like from what we're talking about, like Steve was on board for this stuff. I mean, like where, if, if at all, were there the disagreements between you and Steve or you and Brandon and Steve? We all got along. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> Uh, that's a tough one. I, I, so I think with the website, with, with technology, eBay website and all this other stuff, <clears throat> I don't think Steve really um, wanted to take ownership over it, but he was willing to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if that was partly because of just the skill set, right? He didn't really, you know, see where it was going. He didn't know how, how to implement things, but he didn't really restrict it either. So it wasn't really... An argument. I think what I remember specifically um, is between Steve and Brandon, I was sort of in the middle. So this is when we were all owners at some point. You know, Brandon would buy cases and cases of toys, cases of cards and, and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> I, I was maybe being political at the time because I wasn't really opining um, on what I thought. You know, I, I was sort of, you know, more the more volume, the better, as long as we can sell it, you know. And Steve is more conservative in that respect. Fair enough. Uh, you know, speaking of Steve and I, I guess uh, disagreements, I don't know if this ties in or not. You'll tell me. One of the anecdotes that uh, this is either Bill or, or uh, Metal gave me a heads up about Steve assaulting you in the back room. <laughs> what? <laughs> do, we, do we no recollection Wait, so of this? So who, who, who had said that again? Let's see. That was a that was a metalhead contribution. Metalhead, interesting. So he shared it. So he <laughs> shared a few things, uh, and I guess this is going back more to the uh, the. You know, it's interesting though, because again, I get the sense that all these pranks and you know it was a little rowdier. Um, but you know, it sounds like you were very diligent. Uh, you know, on the on the business side of it, and again, ran a tight ship with the employees. Can we reconcile those two things? I mean, like as far as the atmosphere, what do you recall it being like at that time? Yeah, I think, you know, you can have both. I think um, building relationships and, and having a good time is part of building camaraderie and having happy employees. You know, it's kind of, I think what made the job, what made me stay there for a long time was the people. Like, it was just a fun job. Not just the customers, but also the employees, Steve and, and Brennan and everyone else. Just just good people. Yeah, that crew, the uh, the old guard of alternate realities. Uh, so again, metal. Uh, when he finally got specific, uh, he did share. <laughs> he did share a bunch of things. Uh, so yeah, Steve assaulting you in the back room. I guess we'll. Uh, we'll, we'll it may the, have. You know, I don't. <laughs> we'll the, again, I'm sure assaulting is being, is yeah, being used uh, yeah. very liberally there. Uh, we talked about the Pokemon years, the track team years where you raced Brandon. Do you remember racing Brandon Montclair? You know, maybe. If it, if we did, it would have been around the parking lot i would imagine like behind right. the store and in front of the store <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember so perhaps too much about perhaps that. races happened. may have happened this i feel like you'll you'll probably remember this oh boy <laughs> and this probably goes more into like the prank category okay, we can cut out now <laughs> uh we, we can if, if you want uh metal says when you were originally dating your wife and they did everything possible to make you uncomfortable including some <laughs> bathroom decorations so i don't remember specifics but i do remember Yes, it was definitely because <laughs> she would come. She would come with me on the weekend sometimes uh, to the store um, to keep me company and and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I they they definitely they didn't make it easy for sure. 
um i don't yeah i don't remember what exactly but it was sort of like random stuff would be on the computer or <laughs> and this was yeah now now maybe i do remember that um so stuff would be on the computer like as a screensaver or as you know like a wallpaper and you know i'm sure there's stuff in the bathroom but it was all it was all in good jest like it was all yeah i didn't love it <laughs> but it was it was kind of like that was the environment that i was in like it, right. it, it, just, it just made the store the store um, and it didn't scare her off so that's good <laughs> it did not it did not um and we did get married i remember so i mentioned that because metal I still am waiting for uh, his wedding gift. I don't think I got anything from him still. Oh, we're calling out Metalhead. <laughs> we're calling out Metalhead. Um, Do you remember how he got the name? I I vaguely remember. I I No, you know what? No. I don't remember. It's all right, because he told... I had him on the show in season one, and he told a story, and maybe I wasn't just savvy enough yet as host to question him on this because he was telling the story. I guess there was someone named, who they called Helmet Head. There was a Helmet Head. Yes, right. And the back. way he told the story, he's like, Helmet Metal, Metalhead. And at the time, I was just like, oh, okay. And then after, when I was putting the episode together, I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. What is that? <laughs> How is that an explanation? I'm trying to think. Did he fall off his bike? But he, you know, he had like a bad accident and remained unfazed is that i don't know all i know is from what he described in the episode it was helmet metal there you go there was definitely a helmet head yes (laughs) so i don't know uh that's about it as far as uh, specifics that they shared uh metal's last comment was that uh can we change this podcast into a roast format (laughs) what do you i mean how do you think they would roast you if we did that that's a good question let's bring it on (laughs) he's ready for it next season um yeah i I don't know that's uh i'm sure it it would come pretty easily and uh a slightly more serious question uh yeah i'm curious once you actually like started business school your formal education like how if at all did it change the way you approached running the store that's a good question you know it was a little while ago so i'm not sure if i can remember it too accurately um but I think it just opened up sort of, you know, when I was there, it was more about doing and um, day-to-day stuff. I think the business school really opened up more of the, how do we strategize? How do we get outside of where we are now? How do we expand the business? I feel like maybe one of the ways like our perspectives are a little bit different on alternate realities is that, you know, you were an owner, so you had more of a say and more agency and if there were things you wanted to do like you had skin in the game like you were actually able to enact it or at least try to i think you know for people who have listened to these episodes you know and especially in the first season i and and other guests on the show i mean you know we we all express certain frustrations with the way you know steve ran the store and and especially the the ways in which that led to him deciding to close the store so, I mean, I think the fact that you you were able to actually implement some of these things, you know, because it's like, as you're talking about, like, I'm thinking about like, yeah, like we always wish he d- did this or that. I think also, you know, it's, um, we said a lot more years on it. So, you know, right. you know, when I was there, add on another 10 plus years and what's Steve 10 years from now, you know, like in terms of running the store and yes, ownership, I think changes some things, but it's still, it's still challenging and, and it's do you have specifics as to what no, no, i mean curious. just this, this general idea and it's funny too because so uh 
whether Steve felt like we were being Monday morning quarterbacks or, or whatever, maybe he did. You know, I, I don't know that he always loved you know, some of the feedback that we had about the store. But it's funny because like now he's been on this kick. What he wants me to do with the podcast, he wants me to do it uh, in the style of the Graham Norton show, which I don't know if you've seen this British talk show where it's the host and he has three guests on a couch. That's oh. what he wants me to do. Okay. <laughs> and every time I see him, he tells me this. And I'm thinking to myself, I was like, who does this guy think he is telling me how to run my podcast? And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's what I did <laughs> with the comic shop. But, uh, you know, we all cared about the store so much. But, you know, to your point about, you know, yes, owner ch- ownership changes some things. But one thing that I think changed over the years, certainly Steve's outlook. And I think the longer he did it, the more it kind of wore him down, which is to be expected. Um, but there were periods, you know, when I was there working, um, you know, there's one, one year in particular where I felt like he was especially galvanized and, you know, that's when the, the website got its, what would be its final redesign and he ordered the shirts, Mm -hmm. the ultimate reality shirts, you know, so there, there was still some energy there, but I think in the final years, especially when sort of the last wave of employees kind of moved on. Uh, I think that that was a shift because um, in the final couple of years of the store, it was really just Steve and then uh, Steve Ryan was the primary employee. I don't know if you ever even had the chance no. to meet him. And, you know, I'm not trying to lay the store's closing at the feet of <laughs> Steve Ryan. <laughs> you know, he, he was a good work. I mean, he was very dependable and responsible. And certainly, you know, if you gave him a task, like he would do it. But I feel like, you know, my era and certainly the era before, like the Bill Mayo years, you know, I feel like... A lot of a lot of us, you know, we would take the initiative, even if Steve didn't task us with doing something, to say like, "Hey, we're going to rearrange this area. We're going to clean up. We're going to get these boxes out of the way. We're going to price this collection and put it out." I feel like there was a little bit more uh, being initiated on the staff side, and I don't think that that really happened in those last couple of years. And I think without that forward momentum, I think inertia just really set in, mm. and I don't think the closing is all that surprising. So I think. Uh, yeah, obviously you had the benefit of being an owner, but I think even just from the staff side, uh, I think that really accounts for a lot. It's true. And, you know, he, he also have, you know, has different priorities, I think, you know, as, as you kind of get into different phases of your life, you know, what's it worth to own this store and to run the business versus, you know, what he's doing now. And now he's happily married. And so, you know, things change. And one thing that I, I, that I just came to mind that I, I definitely could not get him to change was the whole automation of inventory. So getting that <laughs> into a POS system. We tried for many, 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 many years. Um, and that's, I'm sure maybe you guys kind of brought that up at some point. But And this was even, so when you were doing this, this was before Diamond had their point of sale system, right? I Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> Diamond has their own system now. It's called Comic Suite. Oh, yeah. I don't think we, yeah. And I don't know if the price point has changed, but at the time when AR was still around, it cost $5,000 to get and implement this system, which, you know, Steve, I guess, didn't feel was a worthwhile investment. Just like a one-time Yeah. So, but it's the sort of thing where, you know, I, I guess what we've always tried to stress to him, you know, when the store was there, and even now that it's not, and he has the remaining merchandise that he's selling on eBay, you know, your your time is is valuable and your time is money. And so, you know, yes, it's $5,000, not a small amount of money, but when you factor in, you know, you're not going to have to do these cycle sheet counts for hours upon hours every week. You know, you can spend that time on something else that might help you grow the business. Yeah, I don't think it was um, for a lack of not knowing, 
you know, that his time is valuable. I think he liked, I think he liked to do it, even though he would complain yeah, about that's it. that's probably true. Um, and he loved to do it, you know, in the same way, like he's been doing it for years and years and years. And I remember at some points, you know, going to the UPS, you know, distribution center and picking up the books, you know, picking up the packages and, you know, that's all part of the business, right? And I think he's just, he's had his way of doing things. And so some things you can't change. <laughs> um, and so that was that was definitely one of them. Yeah. Any pet peeves <laughs> from your time there that, that uh, you recall? Like, oh, you know what would drive me nuts? When someone would call and they would insist on talking to Sco. <laughs> and I'd be like, and you know, I would try and, you know, I would try as much as I could like to just handle it myself. It's like, no, I got to talk to Steve. I got to talk to Steve. Okay. We go get Steve. We put him on the phone and the customer's like, oh, what time do you close? It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so little things like that was probably one of the more mild pet peeves, but uh, anything that really stuck with you? One thing that Steve did, um, which he probably still does, um, is he takes, he makes scrap paper. So he'll he'll fold a piece of eight by eleven into four or whatever, and then basically quarter them. And you know, I don't know why it bothered me, but it was like, why are you doing this? Why are you wasting your time doing this? Um, and also saving boxes and stuff like that. Um, but you know, now so now I actually appreciate it, and I actually do it myself um, because it is a good size. Um, mm. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. So specifically, I mean, he did it with a lot of stuff, but sure. the um, like if you had a package of comic book uh, boards or bags, there would be a slip at the front with the label, you know, with the the logo of the company of the that makes the bags and boards and what size it was and all that. And it's like a glossy paper. And then on the back, though, it was blank. Mm-hmm. So those he would always cut up and he would reuse. I mean, but basically anything. Basically but there anything. would be like behind the register, there'd be like this little... There's a stack of them. Little lid mm-hmm. or whatever, and they would just all be there. Yeah, yeah now I have some from like uh, printing out eBay slips. So now I cut some of those in half, and I save half of the sheet. And this is all due to Steve, probably. Yeah. Um, but one pet peeve is definitely customers that were like coming in around closing time. Yes. Um, that inevitably happened. And then you also got the people who came in and didn't buy anything. So we would call them sort of a, you know, <laughs> what was this phrase? Like, this isn't a library. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that phrase came up multiple times uh, for some of our customers who weren't really customers. Um, they were just coming to, to kind of use time because right. uh, they're waiting for the restaurant next door or whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I can identify with all of those. <laughs> I try to, you know, there are instances where, uh, like, if my wife and I are going into a store and it's close to closing, I'm like, no, like, we, like, we can't go. Like, I hate, I hate to, I mean, one benefit, I think, of, of being in retail, like we talked about at the top, I think it, it it's great because it forces you to have those interactions. And you interact with a wide range of people, like people from all walks of life, different ages, backgrounds. Uh, so I think that's helpful in learning to just deal with people generally. Right. Uh, but it's definitely made me more sensitive. Like we're, if we're in a store and we like we pick up something and then we're not going to get it, like I'll make sure I put it back in the right spot, like things <laughs> like that. Because those are all things that, you know, kind of drive me nuts So you're a well. good customer. Um, yeah, try to be. And definitely, yeah, if I was going out um, around closing, I would definitely make sure I knew what I was going to get. I wasn't going to go there and browse like some some people may do. Um, and then you get the knockers too, who, you right. know, it, it's 20, you know, 20 past, you know, when we close and they would just knock, knock, knock. And Steve loved those people too. Oh, but of course. <laughs> As we wind down here, uh, was there anything else that, you know, after your time you were like, wow, like I'm glad that the store achieved 
this or that? Anything in particular that, that came to mind? No, I mean, I think this whole documentary thing is really cool to sort of make it sort of um, everlasting, you know, in a way. And uh, that's really awesome that you're doing this. Um, and I'm very happy to be able to talk about what whatever it is that I have, you know, in terms of my experience there. But it was definitely a great place to be. And, you know, it was created by, I think, three guys, right, that really yeah. loved what they were doing. And it just brings me back to people. People should follow their passion, whatever it may be. I know it's tough, and it's it's sometimes it doesn't pay, but you got to make it work um, because life is too short to just say, you know, I'm gonna take this job and make this amount of money and do this for another thirty, forty years of my life. And so Steve did that, and that that's really something that I took away uh, more recently than 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 in the past. But sometimes. You know, it's not about when you get there, but when, if you get there, you know, that's a start. Now, well said. Uh, you know, thank you so much for, for coming on and doing this. You and I are going to keep chatting uh, for the after show, which will be sure. available exclusively on uh, Patreon. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this. And, you know, thank you for your role in the store, you know, for everything that you contributed. And uh, for any of the AR veterans who are listening to this and they're like, oh, why didn't they talk about this? You should have given me more suggestions, man. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> seriously, but no, <laughs> no, we had a lot of great stuff to talk about. Uh, and I mean, I'm glad that, you know, I was able to pick your brain about uh, that time of the store. It was really cool. It was a lot of fun and I'm glad I was uh, invited to be here. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Thank you to everyone for listening. Be sure to check out the after show on Patreon and then we will be back with a new episode in two weeks. Until then, don't be a flat squirrel. <laughs>